0: It is Locked On NBA, biggest stories, local experts, craziness at the Staples Center last night. So we will check in with Locked On Clippers and Lucas Hand, Ben Debose of Locked On Rockets and get the two perspectives of the nuttiness that took place between the Rockets and the Clippers. And then we'll start looking at trade deadline a little bit with a look at the Pelicans. What will they do with DeMarcus Cousins? How are they moving forward? And we do that with Jake Madison. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On NBA. Last week we had Ben Falk, parts one and two. Hope you heard those. They were very insightful. They're still available for you on the feed. And make sure you've subscribed to your local NBA podcast and get the daily feed. Plus, every site now up on FanRag Sports as well at lockedon.com. So get the latest at lockedonrockets.com, lockedonpelicans.com, all the rest. Here is today's edition of Locked On NBA.
1: You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Insanity broke out after the Clippers and the Rockets last night and in the midst of Clippers and Rockets last night on the Locked On Podcast Network. We can do something... That no one else can. We can go to both sides get both the local experts and get the perspective from both ends of things with both Locked On Clippers and Locked On Rockets, and we'll start with the Clippers. And Lucas Han is the host of Locked On Clippers. Okay, at this point, this crazy, crazy story in L.A. about the Rockets going through the back ch- tunnel, tunnels, channels, hallways of the Staples Center to try to confront the Clippers locker room uh, is... Now uh, loaded with GIFs and fabulous Twitter, it's what it was all made for. But let's try to figure out what actually happened. So, Lucas, let's go on to the floor. And in this game, do you see this materializing?
1: What happened? So I think probably, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this game. There's a lot of technical fouls. Blake Griffin and Trevor Rees are both ejected near the end of the game. A lot of chippiness with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin all game long. Mike D'Antoni gets into it with Blake Griffin, several guys on the Clippers bench, Patrick Beverly, Austin Rivers, talking a lot to the Rockets players during the game. I think probably the biggest thing that may have been exceptional about the disagreements in this game that could have led to the postgame confrontation was that Blake Griffin was upset with Mike D'Antoni because he felt like apparently Mike D'Antoni was coming out of the coach's box onto the floor while the Clippers were trying to run the fast break and that Mike D'Antoni was, like, in his lane. Um, I, I don't know. That's, it's such a weird thing to me. It's not even something that mm-hmm. I, I look for or would notice if I saw it happen. But then that, at one point, Blake Griffin was coming down to court, and he felt like Mike D'Antoni was, was not where he should be. And so he kind of bumped into Mike D'Antoni, kind of went a little bit out of his way to bump into Mike D'Antoni to kind of make that point. And that's when we saw the huge Mike D'Antoni kind of getting red in the face, screaming at Blake Griffin, the double technical handed out between Griffin and D'Antoni immediately after that. And so I think if there was anything that might've been the tipping point towards that big post-game confrontation, it could have been kind of that spat between Griffin and D'Antoni, because it's not often we see that between a player and an opposing coach during a game. It's such
0: a strange story. And if you watch that replay, Blake,
1: I thought goes way out of his way. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I think Blake definitely went out of his way as far as um you know, whether D'Antoni was on the court or had been on the court too much during the game or I I would have to go back and and watch more, but I would I do think it's safe to say from what I've seen that Blake definitely did go out of his way to make that contact with Dan Tony.
0: There is four years of stories here that play into this night. Old stories about the Clippers not practicing because they didn't get along well enough, right? Questions of what really went on with the Chris Paul-Blake Griffin decision of the offseason. What did the last night tell
1: you about that? I think there's maybe a a lot more bad blood than we thought because we knew that there was tension and there were a lot of question marks, but... Last night was kind of the first chance for the different parties involved to actually prove something and show something. It was when they were actually put on the line, and it wasn't just questions at media day. And we saw, I think probably from, we you know, we knew that Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were not best friends, but last night it looked like there was major bad blood there. And it was reflected, I think, in Chris Paul's post-game comments by – just the fact that he didn't talk about Blake Griffin. He talked a lot about the people he missed from Los Angeles, DeAndre Jordan and people on the staff, but no mention of Blake Griffin. And then even talking about the Clippers as a team after the game, saying how successful they've been with Lou Williams as their star player, again, ignoring Blake Griffin. And just as, you know, coming from me as someone who has watched Blake Griffin play his whole career from his rookie season, day one, that game last night, Winning that game, coming out on top, meant something to him. That was a meaningful, meaningful game for him in a way that, I mean, I'm not even sure that we've seen a lot of playoff games that really seem to have that much meaning to Blake Griffin. That was personal to him. So obviously there's a lot of unresolved tension going on between those two. Definitely even more so than I think anyone anticipated.
0: It's really interesting, and so if we go back, what do you think that step? I mean, kind of now trying to do a retro on it. What do you? Where do you think? When do you think it really fell apart? When did it stem? I agree. You can tell so much about these comments. You're you're right on on this one, Lucas. When do you we we look back at it? When do you think
1: it all fell apart? It's really hard to pinpoint, but I think that probably the main complaint that we hear coming from. You know former Clippers players of this era, Chris Paul when he leaves, J.J. Redick when he left as well, um, Jamal Crawford talking about the team in retrospect sometimes, and then obviously we've had a lot of malcontentedness um, that we've heard from guys like Glenn Davis and Jared Dudley, you know, fringe players. But it, the main complaint seems to be that the team isn't having fun anymore, or at least, excuse me, wasn't having fun anymore towards the end of that Chris Paul era. And I don't know if it's necessarily something that, Was instantaneous. I think probably the biggest turning point would have been when they blew that 3 1 series lead to Houston, and the Rockets had that huge game six in LA where they came back from way behind in that elimination game to force game seven, and then the Clippers ended up losing game seven, being eliminated. And, you know, they had always been a little shaky, they hadn't had the best team chemistry, they hadn't always gotten along. They weren't great, you know, mentally in terms of mental toughness, being strong and consistent at the end of games. But after that series, it really felt like the pressure on the team to succeed, whether it was external or internal or a combination, was so much that everyone just withered at the slightest sign of of any sort of late-game pressure. And so, yeah, if I, if I had to point to one time when I really thought – we swung maybe past the point of no return. I would say probably that Houston Rockets series of the Clippers blew.
0: Patrick Beverly tweets: "It's a different culture in LA. No more soft shit here." Uh, is he taking a shot at Chris Paul? There,
1: yeah, absolutely. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's any question that that's a shot at Chris Paul, especially because I think one thing that really rubbed people on the Clippers the wrong way is that when Chris Paul left the team in the summer he made some comments about, you know, obviously he wanted to go to Houston because he felt like he had a better chance winning there. And while that's going to upset people on the Clippers side, you kind of understand that, even if you disagree with it, even if you think that the Clippers could have been successful with him, you understand that. Of course, that's why he made that decision because he feels that way. But he made some comments as well about the Clippers locker room culture being toxic and people not getting along and it being tense and, and all of this. Um, And what's really interesting is that Chris Paul was the leader of the locker room. He was the star player, the face of the franchise. So for him to be criticizing a culture that in many ways a lot of the media has credited him for creating in a positive way, turning the Clippers franchise around, that really rubbed people the wrong way. And so I think that it's absolutely a shot at Chris Paul. When Patrick Beverly says, no more soft shit here, it's a different culture in L.A. now, Patrick Beverly is saying, yeah, you're right, the locker room was bad, the problem's gone now, and now I'm here. And Patrick Beverly, even though he hasn't played a lot this season because of that knee injury, he stepped in from day one in a leadership role. I don't know if you remember, I think the Clippers pulled the trigger on that trade on a Wednesday, and I believe on Friday, Patrick Beverly was at a pitch to get Blake Griffin to sign his new contract with the Clippers. So he's absolutely embedded in that culture, and I think trying to with that tweet kind of emphasize the shift from what Chris Paul brought as a leader to what he feels like he's bringing as a leader.
0: We'll have to talk some other time about what they're doing on the floor. They've survived the injury run and they're a legitimate (laughs) playoff contender. Lucas, great insight, heck of a night, interesting stories, and a long backstory to it. The local experts on the biggest stories. Lucas Han with Locked On Clippers. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Well, the next stop is the same story, because we can, and as the Lockdown Podcast Network, the biggest story is local experts. There are two experts on this one, both the Rockets' perspective and the Clippers' perspective. So Ben DeBoes, Lockdown Rockets, who's been a regular feature on this program of the Rockets' big season. Tell me what you think ignited last night. I think both teams, there's
2: a lot of emotion going into it. You know the connection. There are so many former Rockets on that Clippers team. Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montres Harrell on the floor, Pat Everly on the sideline. And then even the guys that don't have a Rockets connection, there's the fact that so many of them, led by Blake Griffin, used to play with Chris Paul, and there's a deep connection there. And then you throw in the, you know, the mainstays, the guys like Blake and Chris. Of course, they have history playing against the Rockets in the, in the playoffs. There's just a lot of history between these two teams. When you look back not just the Chris Paul stuff, but really all the other former Rockets, the playoff series a couple of years back. In the past four years, there is a lot of overlap between these two teams. So when they get together, it's sort of like – it's sort of a powder keg, in my opinion. And last night was one of those games, in my opinion, whoever ended up on the losing end of the scoreboard and ended up being the Rockets was inherently, you know, if you lose, you're going to be more upset. And I think a lot of the frustrations – from the game, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion on both sides. And I think the Rockets, because they lost the game, were a little more frustrated, and that's what led them to kind of take the um, the, the lead on everything that, uh, that happened after the game.
0: Chris Paul's one of the falsest media people I've ever covered, where his media answers are as perfect yeah. as they can be in contrast to what he really thinks. Has he slipped at all in his time with Houston about, His time in L.A.? Not much. He has
2: been very guarded with that, and you're absolutely right. He puts on a front. It was hilarious watching, you know, essentially Chris was the guy who took the lead in the postgame comments last night. And within 10 minutes, you know, of course, you could see, you know, he's slyly. He knows what he's doing. Throw a little bit of shade towards Blake Griffin, you know, throwing – he gave some – Congrats to Lou Williams, had a line about how the Clippers should be running their offense through Lou, which pretty obviously was a little bit of a shot at, at, at Blake, but that's about the most you'll get out of, uh, out of Chris. He's very guarded. He has not gone into detail that much on his relationships in L.A. Other than the one thing we've learned this season, David, and it's been not just from Chris's end but DeAndre Jordan as well, is that Chris and DeAndre Jordan are extremely close. They actually talk on a daily basis, according, I think it was a Sam Amick feature that uh, he did on DeAndre Jordan. Those two are close. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, hey, there's a reason Chris left L.A. besides the basketball. There's something that wasn't clicking. So if Chris and DeAndre Jordan are that close, even if Chris is not going to come outright and, uh, and, and spell it out, it seems pretty clear
0: that Blake Griffin is the guy that he didn't see eye to eye with. Chris Paul seems to organize these guys after the game. And lead them while Clint Capella goes. I mean, if this story's true, it's just insane. So Clint Capella yeah. goes to the front door of the locker room as I guess a distraction, or he missed the memo. And simultaneously, yeah. the other side is these guys sneaking through the back. What's what's, yeah. what's your reaction on this element of the story?
2: Okay, so for what I've heard, I don't think that I don't think that it was diversion. That would be i would laugh if it were that would be an incredible amount of planning i think clint realized something was going on and wanted to intervene and because those other guys had already left i don't think he knew exactly you know the back way or whatever he just wanted to go check on what was going on i don't even think he necessarily was that angry or looking for you know a fight or an argument whatever it may be i think it's one of those things clint and it's in your for he's trying to take more ownership i think it doesn't take a genius to You know, if you're a Rocket to figure out that those four guys, especially Paul, Harden, and Ariza, who are the three leaders, are not in there, there's probably something going on. And I think rather than having Clint as a diversion, which would be hilarious, I think he just genuinely did not, uh, fully appreciate what was happening at the second it happened. And so he felt like he needed to be, uh, you know, he wanted to take some ownership. I don't think it was necessarily, uh, planned. But as far as the Chris Paul stuff, yeah, that was, That was absolutely planned. One thing I should have mentioned earlier, David. I think there's a little bit of a backstory besides the long-lasting element. There were a lot of things that happened during the game that don't that that were not handled well by the officiating crew. I think what the Rockets objected to the most, David, there was a play with the four minutes left where Mike D'Antoni alleges that uh, that Blake Griffin elbowed him, that he hit him uh, intentionally. And it's very tough to tell for sure from the cameras because what a few angles we have are from the opposite side of the court. But there are two things. First, it's certainly possible if that happened, And secondly, David, I've been around Mike D'Antoni a long time. While you'll see Mike D'Antoni bark at officials from time to time, he's generally about as stoic, as respectful as it gets when it comes to a player, the players and coaches on the other team. I have never seen him react the way he did last night, where right after it happened, he looked right at Blake Griffin and said, bleep you. That was his response, and that was incredibly on D'Antoni-like. And yet, despite that, Griffin was was able to stay in the game. They didn't actually eject Griffin until a minute left when he and Ariza got into something uh, on the court, and I think that spilled over a little bit. But in general, I think the coach angle was kind of overplayed in this. I think the Rockets were kind of wanting to defend their coach. And I also think that they didn't think it was properly handled by the officials on the court, so I think that's what kind of led it together to where they said, Hey, we need, you know, we need to do something. But at the same time, I kind of believe the, the Woj version of events too, which is that everyone knew that there wasn't actually going to be a fight because, you know, no one's actually looking for that. This is the NBA. No one actually wants to be suspended for 10, 20 games, something crazy, and there's going to be security anyway. I think it was more about Chris Paul, Trevor Ariza, those veterans, they wanted to, they, they wanted to make a statement that they were standing up, that it wasn't going to be okay. It's not completely unprecedented. If you remember last year, uh, there was a situation in Dallas where Trevor Ariza tried to try to uh, meet someone after the game. And again, I think it's the same type of thing. I don't think he's actually looking for the fight. It's more about to make the statement saying, hey, this is not cool. We're going to stand up. And so I think that's what they were trying to do. However, how it played out was certainly a little bizarre and with the Capella angle uh, kind of funny. Let's just be honest about it.
0: Yeah, we'll see how the league reacts. I thought it was pretty clear that Blake hit Mike D'Antoni.
2: I yeah, there was something that yeah, absolutely. I think it was pretty clear that he that he hit him in terms in terms of the level of intent. I, I'm just not going to say 100. percent I know what happened because it was from the opposite end of the court. But like I said, I'll just go by context clues. That like I said, I have never seen D'Antoni react like that. I mean, it, you'll see him bark occasionally at officials, but in terms of opposing players and coaches, I mean, he's pretty stand up guy. So for for Mike to respond in that manner was pretty shocking. And I think that's what kind of lit the fuse under, you know, Paul Harden, Aretha, the veterans saying that, Hey, after this game, we need to do something.
0: Anything else you're going to add on this from the local perspective? I think we've covered this one pretty well. A wild night at the Staples center in LA. Yeah, absolutely.
2: A wild night. We'll see what happens in terms of consequences. The Rockets are on national TV again, Thursday against the Timberwolves. That's, Again, it's actually relevant to the Rockets. That's the closest team to them in the standings now behind them, the three-state of the Western Conference. But, uh yeah, get your popcorn ready for February 28th. That's the next time that the Rockets and Clippers get together, and that one will be in Houston. So, again, between the playoff history of these two, which that's where a lot of the Austin River stuff goes back to, the playoff history, all the former Rockets, now the Chris Paul Blake-Griffin angle, yeah, February 28th, when these two teams get together again at really Trailer Center, it's going to be – uh
0: it's going to be something to watch. So get your popcorn ready. Ben DeBose, Locked on Rockets. Thank you very much. True sure thing. On our final stop of Biggest Stories, local experts, Locked on NBA, we're going to start our trade deadline look and look at the Pelicans with Jake Madison, Locked on Pelicans podcast, com, and get a look at what they might do with DeMarcus Cousins. But first, Jake, before we dig into the trade deadline and our first look with kind of one of the big pieces of this puzzle – What's the overall feeling of of where this team is, how they're playing, and and where they stand?
3: You know, I'd say it's a mixed bag. Certainly the pairing of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins has worked here in New Orleans. They're two games over five hundred right now, right in the middle of the Western Conference playoff race, and they're winning more than they're losing. That's really important. But I think the overall feeling in New Orleans is that this is not a very good team top to bottom. You have your big three in Davis, Cousins, and Drew Holiday, who's been uh, posting career highs in points per game this season so far with that move to the shooting guard position. But this team has been bad defensively. They rank 24th overall on the, in defensive efficiency. They're, you're not going to win many games in the playoffs like that, particularly when you're You're going to be matched up against a high seed in the Warriors or the Rockets. You need to do something to slow them down a little bit because even though there's a top 10 offense here in New Orleans, it's not enough to keep up overall. And frankly, it starts with guard place. When you look towards the trade deadline, this team can go a lot of different ways on moves uh, that they can make, but they certainly need to add some more guard depth because they've been getting burned from that position all season long.
0: I don't have the up-to-date numbers uh, exactly, but they can't have changed too dramatically. So the basic structure, though, is that with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins on the floor, the team's been about plus four per 100 possessions. But with just Anthony Davis, they're plus 10, which would put them up in the Warrior kind of Houston rocket range. And with just DeMarcus, they're minus four per 100 possessions. So is, yeah, it's it, been, is it really it's working? Just-
3: I think so. Again, you're, you're 22 and 20 going into the game against the Boston Celtics, so that's good. You know, they haven't made the playoffs the past three years, so getting back into contention is certainly a good thing here for New Orleans. But this team's weirdly constructed. It is tough to build around two bigs like that in the current landscape of the NBA and certain lineups and certain rotations just haven't been working out. Rajon Rondo, for all the news he's been uh, making with his assists in a 25 assist game, has been a very big net negative, especially defensively for this team. He tends to play the end of first quarters alongside DeMarcus Cousins. I think that leads to some of that negative net rating for Cousins when he's on the court by himself. AD is a monster. We already know that any lineup with him is going to be certainly a good thing here. But as constructed, this team can get into the playoffs, particularly with the injuries to the bottom half of the Western Conference playoff seeds. Are they going to go far or make any noise? And is this a sustainable situation for the next couple of years? That, I'd say, is a no. So short-term thinking, things are okay right now. Long-term outlook, though, I think has to be down for this team.
0: All right, so before we get into uh, one of the things I think you just led to, which is, is a great question, let's just touch on Anthony Davis. My numbers, when I ran Pac Friday on Locked on Jazz, he's much better than he's, ever, than he's been before. Are you seeing yeah. the same thing?
3: Yeah, at times he disappears and there's been a lack of energy and kind of mental awareness for this Pelicans team all year that has led to them kind of being a little bit of a disappointment. But there's moments where he clicks in and is so absurdly dominant. We saw it against the Knicks uh, the other this past weekend. The Pelicans were down 19 at one point and Anthony Davis just decided he was going to take over got the game to overtime, took over in that period, and that's where he put up 48 points uh, in Madison Square Garden. When he wants to be on, you can see he's a top-five player in the NBA. He should be an MVP consideration if he was on maybe more of a winning team. But he's just as good as advertised. Because the Pelicans have been down the past couple of seasons, it seems like he's kind of slipped a little bit in people's eyes. But his play this year has been some of the best of his career.
0: All right, now let's get to some of the things you've alluded to. Is making the playoffs just that level enough?
3: You know, I think it'll buy people here in New Orleans some time. Alvin Gentry supposedly might have his contract guaranteed for another year. It sounds like there's a team option that does guarantee if they make the playoffs. I would assume the same thing is there for general manager Del Damp. So getting into the playoffs is those guys, you know, main job right now. They want to save their, their careers here in New Orleans and just getting into the playoffs and kind of spinning the wheels for another year will work. I don't know if that's going to be enough to necessarily put a championship contender around Anthony Davis for the long term. And with that recent article in ESPN, he did kind of allude to that he wants to win more than anything. He wants to compete for titles. And I've talked with him multiple times, and I know how much a legacy is very important to him. You only do that when you have had sustained playoff success, which he has not experienced here. So you can kind of hear maybe these low, deep down grumblings of him wanting out eventually this team right now is thinking short term because people need to save their jobs but if you want to keep anthony davis here for most of his career they need to be start they need to start thinking long term which is i don't think what the pelicans are doing right now
0: do you think they trade demarcus cousins
3: no, like I said, with with general manager Dell Demps on the hot seat and a, he's a guy who kind of really doesn't understand the idea of a sunk cost fallacy here that even if maybe that would be the best move long term or even potentially for this season, he's going to go down with the ship. I can tell you that much. They will keep DeMarcus Cousins hope that they get the home field advantage on re-signing him. And if he doesn't, then figure they'll blow it up. You know, as you get towards the trade deadline, this team's kind of desperate again that I wouldn't be shocked if they really tried to make a big push for a guy like Paul George, knowing they're likely not going to re-sign him just to do anything. That's kind of the way this team is thinking. But it's certainly going to be one of those situations where no move's going to be made to send guys out. They're looking to bring people in.
0: Do you think they'll re-sign DeMarcus Cousins?
3: You know, my early indication is yes. I think with the money he would lose by going to another team and leaving potentially 30 to 50 million dollars if he gets a max deal on the table might be a little bit too much to swallow after he's no longer eligible for that max deal, having been traded from Sacramento. Um, so that's leaving, you know, close to 80 million dollars on the table after all things considered. I think that's kind of kind of maybe sway him. If this team makes the playoffs and he gets his first taste of postseason action, he's finally in a favorable situation. There won't be any coaching turnover, most likely. I think that's likely enough to get him back here in New Orleans this offseason.
0: Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Jake does fabulous work at LockdownPelicans.com as well as the podcast Lockdown Pelicans. Jake, thank you very much.
3: Of course. Thanks for having
0: me on, David. That wraps up the biggest stories, local experts like nobody else can, the Locked On Podcast Network, whether it's the Vikings after their remarkable play or it's the Clippers and Rockets last night. When the biggest stories happen, you want to go get the podcast from the local experts. Plus, get your favorite team's daily NBA podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network.